This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Tressa Springman. Tressa is the Chief Information Officer at LifeBridge Health. LifeBridge Health is this magnificent, uh, now mid-sized health system in the greater Baltimore area. Uh, just a great health system and a well-led health system. Tressa, can you take a moment and tell us about yourself and LifeBridge? Then we'll talk about priorities and what you're seeing and advice for leaders and so forth. Tressa? Thanks, Scott. Sure. You know, as you mentioned, um, LifeBridge is a fantastic place to be if you're interested in change and innovation and expansion. You know, I promised myself when I joined here almost 10 years ago um, that I would not stay at another health system as long as I had prior. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm an army brat. Every three years, I had to reinvent myself just to survive. And in fact, LifeBridge is just one of those organizations. Um, it has grown. It has become more sophisticated and complex. We, we have investments and joint ventures in just about every part of the continuum. And so um, it is an innovative, vibrant, and somewhat non-traditional um, integrated delivery network in, in the Maryland area, although we certainly have all of the traditional elements um, of a healthcare system, a nonprofit healthcare system that has hospitals and physician groups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so as I mentioned, I've been here for, for um, 10 years now, started out as the CIO. Um, they have supported me and my career development in fantastic ways. Um, I'm now a senior vice president on the executive team. I support a number of non-IT initiatives um, and, and frankly, I'm um, very flattered that was recently also named the system's chief digital officer. And, and talk about that role as chief digital officer. And, and so different than the CIO 30 years ago, the CIO's role was to make sure all the computers were staffed, they were working, the technology was in place, there were desktops in place and stuff like that. The, the big server was working right. Now, talk about that evolution. Is CIO originally to part of the executive team, to chief digital officer. Tell us a little bit about some of those evolutions. Sure. You know, for those of us that have been around quite some time, um, you know, we started out automating the back office functions in a healthcare system. So, you know, 25 years ago, whether it was payroll, general ledger, revenue cycle, um, that's really where we put our time and attention on automating the processes. Uh, no surprise, the last 15 years, it's been EHR, EMR, interoperability, analytics, much more taking advantage of automation of the clinical enterprise and the complexities and the breadth of nuance and, and frankly, um, huge change management exercise for, for um, our clinicians. And right as that began, if you will, to kind of hit its next generation and being able to take advantage of all that rich clinical data to benefit um, the health status of our patients, it launched the consumer era where um, it became very apparent as a CIO that our service centers couldn't just adequately support the automation needs of our nurses and our um, financial team, et cetera but had to really lean in and do as appropriate a job in bringing um, omni-channel access to to everything we were otherwise doing 
um, in an automated or digital way, uh, web-enabled, smartphone-capable to our consumers. You know, we um, first had to automate how to drop a bill and how to post a payment. And now, 25 years later, just like any other industry, we've got to make it easy and at the ready and in the hands of our consumers and our patients when they want to pay that bill. And, and what do you see as sort of the, the big priorities this year? What are your big priorities now? Well, um, as, as I guess trade as it might sound, as the CIO of, as you mentioned, a, a mid-market organization, um, the technology is really cool stuff, but, but my penultimate priority um, and that of information technology and healthcare is to support the goals of LifeBridge. Um, so along those lines, you know, we recognize that we need to create economic capacity. Um, it, you know, it's tough out there economically. There, as you know, are a lot of staffing constraints. There are limited healthcare dollars in an industry that believes um, we need to be working harder at stretching those dollars on behalf of the payers and our patients. So, you know, within a healthcare system, uh, we've got to create that long-term viability. We've got to um, create economic capacity so that we can reinvent ourselves to the future. And to that end, we need to own and then respond to this appropriate industry evolution and disruption. Um, it's time. Digital care, telehealth, we can either innovate from the outside out or we know that we will be disrupted by these other competitors. And then, you know, finally, um, in addition to those other two priorities, uh, the pandemic hasn't gone away. Um, we've, we've got to remain nimble. We're looking at different waves. We're looking at boosters. We're looking at mandatory employee um, vaccination and or um, testing cycles. Um, and this element of um, the pandemic creating a workforce where uh, really ensuring for an otherwise super high-touch industry that work from home is not only embraced, but capable and very secure in what you and I both know is a pretty scary cyber environment. So I would say those are my top three. And, and, and how about it, the cyber security is just an insane situation as well. Just talk about dealing with change, disruption, challenges, trying to become resilient to attacks and so forth. Um, what, what about, you, you've had this magnificent leadership career, um, you, you still have tremendous passion for what you do, it just rings through, it's a pleasure to listen to. What advice do you give to emerging leaders? What do you tell emerging leaders? Raise your hands. Um, you know, there are a lot of talented people out there, there are a lot of very bright people out there, and there are a lot of hardworking people out there. And um, I very much had the benefit of an incredibly wise CFO that I, I worked for much earlier in my career. And, you know, he said to me, you're really great, but you wait around thinking someone's going to notice that. And you can't do that. Put your hand up. So that's my advice. You know, um, we've all heard those statistics about how comfortable various people are on their willingness to raise their hand based on their confidence. Just put your hand up. You know, it's, it's it's so funny you mentioned that because just earlier this morning, another magnificent CIO said something kind of similar. 
you, you have to realize that nobody else knows what you want to do or what you're going to do. And, and so you have to sort of tell people, here's what you want to do. And, and you have to raise your hand. And I think that is just, um, that, Tressa, is just great, great advice. How did your career evolve? When did you start to gain more confidence as a leader, um, to raise your hand more, to volunteer more? Was that a pivotal moment when that person, the CFO, said that to you? When did your career start to evolve and sort of accelerate? You know, thanks for asking that question, Scott. I, I think um, I've, I've now been or had the benefit of of being a leader for over 20 years. And it is so hard when you go from being a really effective individual contributor um, where you know the skill and you get it done because you have the capability to stepping across and basically reinventing what you're good at um, and, and doing so in a way where you're bringing other people along and you're no longer at the center of that universe. Um, so so I, I think it's an evolution based on time and confidence um, look, I think there are tremendous leaders who have gotten there without the benefit of years and years of experience. I, I got to admit, though, Scott, you know, I don't think I'm one of them. I, I think that um, for me, that has come with the benefit of very wise mentors and, uh, frankly, making a lot of mistakes. I mean, it, this, is, this is this concept of making lots of mistakes. Talk about that for a moment. You know, one of my children in her first job was worried the other day. She made a mistake. And I had to say, you're going to make mistakes. This is part of growing up and resilience and then figuring it out and not making that mistake constantly or getting better and better. But talk about that. Because I mean, this concept that we're all perfect, and we all realize that we're imperfect and we make mistakes, it's just trying to make a lot less mistakes than we do things right, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're trying to make less mistakes, but we all make them sometimes, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. And and yet, um, as leaders, I think we need to be, um, we need to help influence that. It, you know, first of all, we need to encourage our teams, especially in an organization like LifeBridge, that not only differentiates itself, but prides itself on its innovative nature. It, you know, you've got to be a little bit more of a risk taker. So we as leaders need to create an environment that makes it safe. And yet we need to be very forthright. I tell my team, this is not something that we can be on that, um, you know, point of the spear when it relates to the risk proposition. And otherwise, I need to say, listen, guys, get out of the box, take risks, think creatively. So I, I need to, as a leader, really articulate the risk profile of whatever we're working on or trying to tackle together. Um, and I need to make the culture safe so that those risks can be taken. I think so many of us saw the, the creative outcomes of what the burning platform of a pandemic brought to us. And it was because in many ways that risk profile for healthcare got thrown out the window when we didn't have staff, when we didn't have PPE, when we couldn't come in and do the work. And um, as leaders, we've got to make that space safe if we want to encourage innovation. And yet we also need to articulate when uh, taking risk is inappropriate as well. 
Fantastic. Teresa, I want to thank you today for taking the time to join us on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Always a pleasure to visit with you. Just magnificent. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you have a great weekend. I am ready for it. Thank you very, very much. <laughs>